Shop Talk is back. With the support of LSETF, we're sat down with some young, brilliant entrepreneurs to learn the secret behind their success so that just maybe we can do the same thing. Ibuka, how are you? I'm fine, I think. <laughs> um, and I use fine very loosely, considering the fact I'm in my life. It's been a crazy couple year plus. of years. Yeah. And um, it's great to still be here healthy. And um, But yeah, honestly, it's very hard to say you're fine living in Nigeria these days, let's be honest. So <laughs> uh, you say you say it with faith. Like I'm fine. Exactly. Right. Yes. Much so, more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what that's what counts, right? That you like you have enough to be able to count as your blessing. Exactly. You know I mean? You're not. And you also try to just put out hope. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, they say the power of the tongue. So yeah. you don't want to say you're not fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think, it manifests. And also so. to just, it's good for the people around you as exactly. well. Exactly. It's also feed off that sort yeah. of energy. True. Yeah. So, so what would you say right now, right? Do you think is the hope for, I guess, our generation and the next? I don't know if I can even really full, fully put myself in your generation, but our generation and the next. Honestly, it's, it's hard to put hope in context now yeah. and i've been the most pro-nigerian person you'll ever meet yeah. all my life i mean when i went to the states to study for my masters a lot of my friends didn't think i was going to come back and when i came back yeah. they were like why would you come back <laughs> and i just said why would i not come back i had always been that guy who never really saw a reason for um not being here and helping yeah. you know build and work and i've been very very sort of passionate about nigeria mm. um it's wearing very thin sadly mm. um and it's all around us um I, I try also not to harp on it too much but yeah. that doesn't make it go away because you yeah. see it every day i mean you go on social media you check the news every day there's literally just headline after headline of things that make you want to just give up yeah um where does my hope come from? I, I just keep believing in our resilience. Uh, I used to be a huge fan of that word. I don't, I don't like it anymore because <laughs> it almost feels like Nigerian resilience is just sort of substituted now for just being dumb yeah. and not being able to speak up and you know fight yeah. for what you believe in. Um, but we are very resilient, um, sometimes not in a great way, but it, it has held us this far. And we are actually very brilliant people. Um, I look to that a lot and I see, especially the generation right after mine, Yeah. Um, in the last few years, they have sort of come into their own, or are slowly coming into their own. And I see the energy, I see the resolve to take what they believe is theirs yeah. and demand what is right. And it kind of gives me hope yeah. to say that, okay, maybe there might be some lights. I don't know where the tunnel ends. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that sort of gives me some hope to say that, okay, yeah. I mean, it's not all completely lost. Line of work, how, how, how um, exposed are you to, I guess, some of the ideas that um, you know, this generation, next generation are having, right? Because you know, one thing that you said that stands me is we are a brilliant people. You, um, I see it culturally. You can see it traced throughout our history, right? That there's a lot of intelligence, and sometimes because of circumstances and situations, it gets channeled in the wrong direction. But there's so many brilliant things and ideas that people are coming up with in this, this country. Like, how much do you get exposed to kind of the ideas that people have? I mean, it's probably the biggest blessing I have with what I do because I mean, I've done a show now called Dropping Minds for going on nine years, I've done it every Sunday. I mean, yeah. by the odd Sunday where I'm not available. But I mean, it's been a long run. And I've just seen and heard story after story from people who are doing. Yeah. And it's very impressive. And a lot of that happens in spite of government, not because of government. Yeah. And I think that's what stands out for me. I was at a, a conference sometime early this year um, by the United Nations. And it was something focused on Nigeria. And there was a guy there who's not even Nigerian. I think he's from Sudan, I think. Mm. And he said something that was very, very striking to me. He said, is it not interesting that 
the things that work the most in Nigeria today are things run by young people. Yeah. And he was talking about media entertainment. He was talking about tech yeah. and fintech and that space. And it was just very telling. And there were people in government who were sitting there who you could see their eyes <laughs> sort of light up like, and it's true. And these are people who have decided, you know what, I'm going to take my fate in my own hands and just do these things. Yeah. And these are the shining lights we see today. You wake up every day, there's a new startup being acquired or, you know, yeah. getting funding or there's an, an entertainer winning an international award, just excelling yeah. in their fields. So it's, I think it's been very interesting to see a lot of these stories evolve. A lot of these people who are shining stars now in these sectors I've mentioned, people who I knew when they were still trying to start. And I see them now doing amazing things. Yeah. And you also see a new crop starting to emerge as well. So the cycle is healthy enough in those yeah. places. And it's been very, very rewarding for me to be just a part, witness, you know, all of that. Yeah. I mean, so we hear or we get to hear a lot of good stories. Yeah. Right. But in, in, in relation to the numbers, uh, it seems like a small crop. Like, how do we go about trying to expand that and increase the numbers of people that have opportunities and things like that so there's only so much you can do as an individual as a people and i think that's where policy now comes in yeah and you have to be intentional about a lot of these things um which is where it now goes back to government yeah um whether you like it or not it's like what Noli what nollywood was doing for the longest time nollywood kept on growing and growing and growing yeah. and growing became this third biggest industry in the world suddenly became number two but it can only go so far with just yeah. them doing their thing. There's no structure. There's no sort of policy that says this is how the industry should be run. You know, so as long as people are left to do their thing, they would do it well enough. But then policy has to make it intentional for yeah. growth to be a little more astronomical or whatever yeah. the word is. And that is where I think is missing yeah. in a lot of these things. Yes, entertainment is, is doing well. But like you said, how many people can they really employ? If yeah. it's just left to keep thriving the way it is. Yeah. And why must Lagos be the only place for tech, for example? Yeah. Why does everything have to be centered here? Um, I saw a thread recently where someone said, I mean, why is Abuja not the center of tech yeah. uh, in Nigeria? It seems like a more viable space. Why can't we have three hubs in the yeah. country for stuff like that? Why does every movie have to be shot here? You know, so it's where government now says, okay, it's either they do it themselves or attract investment enough to say, okay, come to Abuja, come to Port Harcourt, come to Oweri, let's do this in Kano, so that a lot more people are benefiting from what is already thriving somewhere yeah. else. I think it, 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 it's, it's crazy. Just the idea of that when you were talking about like, oh, why, is this, why do all films have to be filmed in Lagos? Yeah. I, I Recently, I was watching something and simply... I was simply refreshed by the fact that it was shot in Abuja. I, was, I found it so refreshing because I wasn't seeing, was different. I was seeing like, the okay. same shots. <laughs> you know I mean? Like everything just felt fresh exactly. in a kind of way. Yeah. I mean, I know that there are some sort of efforts that are being made, right? So I know like places like the Lagos State Employment Trust Fund are doing things and putting things in place. The question is, how do we take that from you know, um, being centered simply here? to other states and all those kind of things simply because once you're dealing with the numbers of people that we have mm -hmm. in this in, in in lagos alone all of a sudden it becomes an impo almost impossible task um, what about for you i want to talk a little bit so like how you started off because you went i mean i see too many <laughs> i see too many in different spaces right so you started off and what, what made you do something like law school i mean you're a lawyer you're a trained lawyer yeah um and how do you make the leap from there to where you are today <laughs> so i would say i, I think i'm one of I, I don't want to use the word victim but i was uh, a product of the lack of guidance counseling in our schools mm. in nigeria where you go to school and there's really nobody or not no one to say or speak to you to say, okay, what are you even interested in? What are you good at? Where do we guide you to, yeah. to, to say, okay, this is what you should be doing? So, I mean, I mean, secondary school, I knew I hated mathematics. Yeah. Um, I didn't really care for it. But, you know, I, I was at a space where I wanted to study something that had a title, barrister, yeah. <laughs> you know, or doctor. And law seemed like the only thing that would sound professional enough if I studied yeah. it. And I didn't need to know math or care for it that much. And that was the only reason why I went to study my, yeah. uh, sorry, study law in university. I studied it while I was studying it. I knew I wasn't particularly in love with it, um, but I was doing it anyways. Um, 
uh, of course, I knew I was going to do law school, regardless of whatever yeah. I thought about it. Did law school, and then after law school was when I saw this uh, commercial for Big Brother Nigeria at the time in 2006. I would, anybody who knows me or who knew me then would never have put me on a show like that because it was completely out of the question. It's funny when I hear people say that. Like, yeah. like, but then what, what took you Exactly, there? because my personality is <laughs> off from anything you would see on that show. I used to be painfully shy, like painfully. <laughs> I couldn't look people in the eye. I couldn't have conversations openly in a crowd. I was that guy. Yeah. But I saw the ad in the newspaper. My sister and I were in the living room then, and she says, and we're talking about it, and she's like, ah. I was like, I was going to do it. And she's like, who born you? I beg you. You know, it was kind of yeah. like a dare. You could never. <laughs> Let's just call it a dare that went too far. <laughs> Let me just put it that way. Because I applied out of nowhere. Completely forgot about it, and I'm being honest. Because I didn't get a call back for like a month or something. And I had just moved on with my life. And then I got a call, oh, you can come for the next stage. I'm like, okay. I went there and I was 23. Honestly, I went there and I saw hot babes. <laughs> Let me just put it out there. Like, okay, this won't be a bad idea to be in the same house with good-looking people. Um... And then it went on and went on and went on. And then I got picked. And then I got into the house. And the day I went to the house, I didn't know what I was doing there. I yeah. almost wanted to leave immediately. Because it just seemed like it wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, door shut. There's 11 other people in the house with me. People I'd never met in my life. And I'm like, how's this going to work out? <laughs> so honestly, I was there for two months. And it was, I think it kind of showed. Because people who watch the show then would always say, you were a little boring. And it's true, because I really didn't want to have conversations with anybody. I just wanted to be left alone and just be. Yeah. I wasn't interested in tasks in the house. I really just didn't, I didn't really know what I wanted when I went there to do. But one of the tasks in the house happened to be a drama presentation we had. I didn't want to act because I really wasn't interested in acting. Yeah. But I said, okay, it's going to be a play. Why don't you do the opening monologue and introduce yeah. the play? And I did that. And then I come out of the house, everyone is like, wow, you have a great voice and you did that task, so why don't you try out media? Now, by then, I had always had an interest in the media, but mostly radio, if anything, because yeah. I'd always heard this thing about my voice. You sound good, you sound good, but I, I just felt TV is a little too much because of my personality, so I never considered TV. But when I came out of the house, I'm like, okay, people kind of know me now, let's try this TV thing out. And that was how the transition happened, because I just started going for auditions and then I got my first show about four, five, six months after yeah. my eviction. It was a game show. On NTA, and how how do you <laughs> how do you get over that um, that shyness? That's assuming it's gone. Yes, <laughs> I mean, how how do you even deal with it? Yeah, more like dealing with it. Um, I don't know that I I don't know how it happened. At the time, it was more a motivation. I think the biggest motivation for me then was money. Yeah. Because something I skipped, going into the show even was, okay, let me go do this show, win the money. Because it was $100,000. That was the prize money then. The whole idea was win this money, go to the US and get another degree and then yeah. start my life there. I didn't really plan on doing anything entertainment. So coming out and not winning was like, okay, what do I do now? You know, and the worst thing I always say you can be is famous and broke, which was literally what I was <laughs> then. Because everybody knows you and... What? Expects the <laughs> and expects certain things. You just still don't have a car. You, you know, it was a weird situation to be in. So I'm like, okay, now we have to make money. So the first motivation was money. So people say, okay, it looks like you can do this. Let me try it out and see what happens. And if I can make some money from it. Um, so I'm like, okay, eye on the ball. If this is going to make me money, let's see how much we can, you know, push this shyness aside. And if you watch a lot of my early shows, you would see it where I would fidget and, you know, my eyes yeah. are darting, and, you know, because I'm really not sure what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's mostly because I, I'm just, I, I, I mean, look at, you know how production works. There's a yeah. gazillion people behind yeah. the camera. I'm like, is this how this works? You know, so that was very hard for me. But I think over time, the biggest um, shift would have happened, I think, more intentional out of even work. Because I then started becoming intentional about going to events and interacting with people. and <laughs> That's the part I still hate. Yeah. <laughs> and now I've sort of gotten away from it again. <laughs> but going to an event and saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to have a conversation with as many people as I can. 
and you know walk up to someone who maybe you admire someone who you see on tv someone who you find interesting at the event hey how's it, how's it going and just have that conversation and that helps me even with hosting events as well because then i started looking at being on stage with a crowd as me having a conversation with one or two people just in there so it's a process still um but like with everything I say, you have to be intentional about it. Mm. And it was literally me just saying, yes, I, I have to surmount this. If this is going to be the obstacle to me being good enough at what I want to do. Mm. And of course, as I went along, by the next year, I fallen in love with television. I realized, mm. okay, this is probably what I should be doing. And I knew I loved what I wanted to do or what I was doing at the time. And I figured, how else do I grow in this space without this hindrance, you know, yeah. being there. So I had to be intentional about it. And I still am. Um, now, most people, when I say I'm sure, most people don't believe, believe it <laughs> because of how I've been able to... I mean, it's been 15 years yeah. since I started doing TV. So it's a, long t- it's a long enough time, I believe, to have, you know, walked around a lot of those things. But yeah, it's being intentional, I think, has been yeah. what... I think it's funny because I, I, I personally find a lot of... Um, I can relate. Yeah. Funny enough, I, I think the same way, no one ever believed me if I said I was no. shy, but I am. Because I, and doing this is unexpected, personally. I always enjoyed acting yeah. because I got to be, I got to do something I, I enjoyed, but not be myself. I think the idea of being yourself on the camera feels even more <laughs> vulnerable than yeah. the idea of pretending to be someone else. And so how, well, one thing that I'm seeing stand out is just, to, is, is, like you said, the intentionality of learning to overcome the things that are standing in your way. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people, I guess, look at your problem and look at what you can't do and say, well, this means I can't, it isn't an option for me. And trying to find a viable option that lets you let your flaws remain your flaws. How did, how did your, because like you said, you've come out of Big Brother, you're a celebrity now and there's no money and you're trying to find a way to turn it into money. How did your background um, aid your ability to do those kind of things? I mean, like negotiating all those kind of things, working out what your worth was and wasn't. Um, did your legal training pay anything to that? Of course. I got management for the first time in my career after 12 years. So for 12 years of my career, I was actually my own manager. So and that was because of my training, of course. So, I, I mean, I knew how to read every contract I got. I knew how to sort of negotiate. I knew how to have conversations uh, in a room to say, okay, this is what I should be getting or not getting. Um, that definitely helped a lot. And um, it still does. Because sometimes even the management yeah. says, okay, maybe you need to look through this in case you spot anything <laughs> that we are not spotting. And um, yeah, so that, that definitely helped a lot. It was... Um, also interesting that at the time, having lawyers in entertainment was very alien. Because mm. what happened then, I mean, the biggest sectors in, in entertainment there were, was Nollywood and music was still sort of growing at the time. So you had these musicians who would go to Alaba and sign up their, their rights to their album. The marketer pays them off. And that was it. That was how yeah. that worked. With the no, movie people, it was just go and act, you get your pay. Nobody really understood why as a brand or as a celebrity or as a person, you needed a lawyer for anything. Yeah. You had one or two entertainment lawyers, but they were very few and far between yeah. you know, with clients. So then it was even weird. I, I would have a few celebrity friends at the time who would send their contracts to me to say, please, can you just help me quickly look through yeah. So I was doing that as well on the side. And it was also helping me keep sort of abreast of, you know, yeah. like, okay, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. If you need to redraft this and all of that. So it was, it was very, very helpful. And I think that's what helped me sort of decide to go back to school when I did because... Yeah. I did the show in 2006. I went back to school in 2010 uh, to get a master's degree um, in intellectual property and communications law. And it was because I had, as much as I said, I wasn't particularly in love with the law. I saw sort of a vacuum. And I said, okay, how do I sort of combine this thing I actually studied with what I'm doing now and make it work? And I just started looking out, making, doing my research and got admission to the American University and packed my stuff and left uh, for the States, which... (laughs) What was that experience like? Oh, God. So it was a very tough thing to do. Um, Television here then was still very 
I mean, they were, you could count the TV stations on one hand. Um, it was literally Channel O. African Magic was still about to start off. Um, then the local stations. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot, a lot to do, per se. And I was still working on NTA because I had started doing another show called The Glow yeah. Show after that. I had done about three other shows from the first one I had done. So I was doing pretty okay. Um, not at the peak of my career, but I was one of those people you would know, okay, that guy is, works in media. So to just sort of shut it off and go was a very hard decision. Yeah. But I, I also knew that if I didn't do it then, I probably wouldn't do it again. But I always look back and say it was probably the worst time for me to leave <laughs> Nigeria. Because for some reason, 2010, I always say was the year the media industry in Nigeria changed. Yeah. A lot happened with new channels, new radio stations, um, new shows. We had a lot of people who... It was when, unlike what's happening, people are running to Canada. A lot of people moved back to Nigeria. Yeah. So you had the echo where there was. Tools, Oreca, um, Marcy Dolakoni. A lot of those people came back. And I'm in America, <laughs> looking yeah, America at Twitter. Down in school. And I'm just like... And social media is blowing up yeah, as well. So social media is blowing. See. So now I'm seeing these things in real time. I'm like, oh, there's this new person who's taking the media industry by storm. So it was very hard to watch. And by the time I came back... There was no space for me anymore. And I mean it. It was very hard. And I just kept wondering, what did I, why, why did I do this? Why, why did I need to go? And I would go have meetings. In, and every office I walked into said the same thing. Oh, we'll call you back. We'll see what we can do. Or there's no vacancy. I had one who not literally told me, but basically the conversation was, yeah, you sound too Nigerian to work here. So I would get a lot of those. And I'm just like, but this is not what the industry <laughs> was when I left. So it yeah. took me another year and a half to find my space again. Um, so it was a very tough, it was a very tough experience. Being in school though, I totally enjoyed it because it was, a, I had schooled in Nigeria all my life. Did my university, University of Abuja. I did my law school here. Then went to DC for my master's. So it was my first sort of eye-opening experience outside yeah. of these shores. And so I enjoyed that part of it. You know, you come from a system where you literally have to cram and pour things out. There's no engagement with lecturers to a point where you are having conversations in class. I'm like, okay, I like it. Yeah. So that was, I learned the most, I always say in that time. Um, but it was very traumatic seeing what was going on I, in the space that I left. One thing I noticed, and I don't know if you noticed it and it's a, awkward question but that everybody that you just mentioned now yeah. while you're talking about people that were coming back as female yeah. so as a male host yeah. right what what how how was it even creating that space because it's funny enough we i feel like that there is a lot of um a lot of females in that space as so how is it creating a niche for yourself as a guy in that space because between yourself i guess someone like ik um there aren't as many men that are hosting um, and making a huge career like out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it goes back to being intentional, right? So when I started doing television, I knew I just wanted to do TV, but I didn't know what it was I wanted to do on TV. And that's what I always tell people who come to me and say, okay, I want to be a TV presenter. I always say, what exactly are your interests? It's like saying I want to be a doctor. We all know there's so many kinds of doctors. kinds of yeah. I mean special do you want to be a pediatrician do you want to be a gynecologist are you going to be what, what do you want to be you know so the media from the outside looks like just one big box so I, I started off doing a game show then I went to do an entertainment show then I did a sports show then so I I did several things red carpets mm. until I found out that my biggest strength first of all was in interviewing people and I realized I need a sort of platform where I'm having conversations or interviewing, uh, which was where Robin Mines came in. Robin Mines had been on air for about five, six years at the time, and I had a conversation with the producers, and then I became the host in January of 2013. And I think it's just been playing to my strengths. Um, I, I always say I don't, I don't try to do what I'm not good at. So you hardly see me. It doesn't mean you won't see me do it, but you hardly see me, for example, host a concert, yeah. right? Because it's not who I am. I'm not going to sag my jeans and be on stage <laughs> and telling people to 
you know, yeah. that's not my <laughs> core. But there are people who are great at hosting yeah. events like that. You see me more hosting a bank corporate event or, you know, things that are more aligned to my personality. And once you identify what you're good at and be intentional about building, I watch everything on TV that's media related. I, I literally watch television from South Africa, Ghana, Australia, Canada, the UK, the US. I, all I do is watch talk shows. If you check my YouTube, <laughs> you, see that, you just see them. Because I'm constantly trying to learn and yeah. see what I can be better at. And I think that's what it's been. Um, I, you talked about Ike. Ike, of course, is someone who has done great in the industry. Yeah. And I once in a while, I always see these things on social media. Ike or Ibuka. Ike versus Ibuka. <laughs> and it's, I can see why it happens. But at the yeah. same time, we're two very different presenters. Yeah. We when have, I think about the things I see you doing, they are very different. Yeah, we're two it. very different presenters. The things Ike does, a lot of them I can't do. A lot of the things I do, he, he doesn't. Um, and which is probably why we are where we are. Because yeah. everybody has realized this is my lane. This is what I'm great at. And I'm just going to stick to it. Um, I've, so the comparisons are flattering sometimes, but mostly just, I mean, it's not necessary. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really just playing to your strengths and understanding what you're good at and being intentional about constantly building and learning and yeah. being better. I, like I said, I'm constantly watching stuff. I'm not professionally trained to be on TV. So what's the best way to learn is to learn from people. Yeah. And that's literally what I do. I've, I say I've watched virtually every Larry King interview there is today. Not all of them, but I mean, I, there's no Larry King interview I see that I don't press play on. And a lot of what I've done has been sort of tailored towards his style. And if you watch closely a lot of my interviews, the leaning in, and <laughs> <laughs> it's just almost copy and paste. But it's because he's great at what he, he does. And he's had some of the best interviews you can find in the world yeah. you know i mean i did a bit of oprah into the style as well where it's yeah. like you know you're trying to pull the person in and emotionally sort of blackmail yeah. them to give you answers <laughs> but yeah i mean you have to learn and yeah. keep learning and these people have done great with what they do so why not learn from them yeah. and yeah so I, I it's just been me being intentional about saying okay this is what i'm good at i know what i'm great at i know what i can be better at and just keep building on that lane yeah. what would you say are, I guess, the differences between one, doing your work well, right, and then learning how to cultivate and build a brand out of it. Because you do your work very well, but then you've also become a brand. And how do you, you know, because there are many people maybe that, maybe that know how to work, but don't know how to, to turn themselves from, from being someone that simply knows how to do the work to someone that people are looking for. Hmm. You know, I've gotten that question informally a lot, and I never know how to answer it. And it's mostly because a lot of it is personality-driven, right? Where you are, you know who you are, right? You know where you're coming from, and you know what you're trying to achieve. So as a person, how do you want to be seen? Um, I've never, never caught a controversy. Yeah. Even at a time when people would say, no, no bad news, as long as you're in the news. No, yeah. no news is bad news or whatever yeah. it is, you know. I've never been that kind of person who would say, okay, let me just do something or let me put something out there for people to talk about me. If I'm not in the news, I'm not in the news. Can I just do my work, you know? And that has honestly been what has guided my person outside of work. I would say I have a morbid fear of being on blogs. <laughs> it's, it's funny, but it's true. I, even if it's for good, just leave me alone because I know what these blogs are. And what it can and what it turns turns to, even if So it they are healing you one minute and the third comment becomes, <laughs> and then that comment becomes the focus. So I don't like, I really honestly don't cut controversy. And over time, I think it has worked for me. Initially, it looked like why are you not, you're not doing enough, you know? And I used to get that, saying, I do some things now. It's people you know, being the news. Um, but it just was never what I wanted to be. And I just constantly, you know, kept what I needed to keep private, private. It's my private life. When it's time to work, you see work. If I feel the need to put out anything private at all, I, I know that I do it on my terms. As yeah. against just throwing things out there because I yeah. feel like. I mean, I'm signed to a telecommunications company right now, Samsung. Sorry if I mentioned the name, but <laughs> and we're having a conversation on the day I went to sign. 
And they had said, it was a South Korean company, so they had to send my list of names to the head office in South Korea. And, you know, they looked through the potential ambassadors they wanted to sign at the time. And the feedback was basically that the South Koreans were confused at the fact that they looked at my history and they couldn't find anything. And it was more shocking to them because I wasn't, I wasn't what's is literally the biggest show on the continent, which means there's a lot of eyeballs on this guy, but we can't find any dirt. Yeah. So they found that fascinating and that was why they thought, you know what, let's go with this guy. So something that looked like it was me just being dry <laughs> all these years pays off yeah. eventually. And I think so it's just all of these things I just say, it's, it's a personality thing. Yeah. I've never, I've always just wanted to control my narrative. And at the time when it started, I don't know that we knew what it was to build a brand. I was yeah. just being myself and being doing things on my terms eventually it has become okay this guy's brand is great but at the time i didn't even know that i was building a brand it yeah. just so happened that over time it has evolved to this person being this brand and yeah even same thing with fashion even which is yeah. suddenly now it's you know, like i said even <laughs> me, me i felt a level of pressure because ibuka is coming so you know what's wrong with you <laughs> no but seriously even that as well happened i always like to dress up I've always enjoyed um, clothes. I used to make jokes in the past, you know, when I started up on TV to say, uh, since I wasn't very good at presenting, at least you forget that I'm a bad presenter and look at what I'm wearing <laughs> as something that at least keeps you watching, you know. I always like to dress up. Before Instagram and all of these things became a thing, I would always be on all of these uh, best dressed guys of the year and all of those things. But I wasn't doing it for that. It was just because I liked to, to look good and dress a certain way and appear a certain way. And then it has now become his brand. Yeah. Also unintentional. It just so happened that this is what I like. Yeah. And this is what my person is. And I guess the package is working. <laughs> I think we live we live in a world right now, especially like you, you brought up social media, where there's so much... Um, sometimes it feels like there's so much pressure. Like if you want to do anything, whether it's a business, whether it's um, just for yourself, whether you know, whether it's making yourself a brand or anything you have to do, you have to do so much with social media. Yeah. Um, what level of thought do you put into that? I mean, now you're talking about it and you say it's just because I just always enjoy dressing up. But even now where it's become a part of, I guess, yeah. business, how much thought do you think needs to go into what you are and aren't doing on social media? Of course, a lot. Anybody who tells you it's, it's <laughs> they're not paying attention to what they put out is lying. Um, I look at my Twitter history just to start with. I started, I think I joined Twitter in 2008 or nine or thereabouts. And I know how I was on Twitter at the time when it was okay to just have any form of conversation and just be fine. Of course, now I can't do that. Yeah. First of all, Twitter is a different space. Also, I am in a different place. And there are more eyeballs on me now. So before I put out any tweet, I'm going to think of the eight different ways it can go wrong or it can go left just by people responding or interacting with what I put out. So yes, I'm very, I'm a lot more cautious. If I can have this conversation with my friends or my wife at home, I'm just gonna have it there as against putting it out there yeah. and being misunderstood or where nuance or context yeah. doesn't come into play. Same thing with Instagram. Yes, Instagram has become a marketplace, whether we like it or not. And um, it has also become a part of a lot of our businesses now. Because if you're going to work in this industry, that's in, a lot of the time, people tell you, I checked your page to see if we could hire you, if we could have this conversation. Yeah. It's a fact now. So yes, I'm more intentional about, okay, does this picture work for what I'm trying to achieve? Yeah. Do I even need to post this? Does this information need to be out there? So yes, I'm more intentional. And I think it's very important for anybody who wants to work in the industry. A lot of people I know in the industry have two, three pages on social media. Two of them are private. That's where they put their for want of a better word, mess. <laughs> and then they have the one where it's curated for yeah. their career. And I think it's a great thing because whether we like it or not, it's, it's just the world we live in now. Yeah. And social media has become a huge part of our person. Some people will never meet you in life. And their entire opinion of you is formed by what they see there and what you put out there. So yeah, it's very intentional and very deliberate now. Yeah. How, how, how do you manage because I, like, literally, as we were talking, even before you started saying it, it, it started to recount to me that you're very visible, but also 
really incredibly private. And how do you manage to, in a world where so much, so many people maybe want uh, your attention, want your want information about you, want to know what's happening, want to learn, you want to get something out of you. How do you manage to keep that privacy? It's very hard though. Because you're also caught between, whether you like it or not, if you work in an industry like this, you are where you are a lot of the time because of those who admire you. Um, I'm not a huge word of the word fan, fan of the word fans. <laughs> but that's, I guess that's what it is. Yeah. You know, people who support your career. And most times, there are certain demands they would make, naturally. Good intention, you know. And you're also always caught in, mm, should I, maybe I should give out a little more. Or maybe I should tell them this. Or maybe I should just because they support you. And it's yeah. genuine support a lot of the time. Um, but I, which is why I, what I was talking about it, it goes back to your person and what you want your narrative to be. You know, with social media, I always say, with every little you give, you're almost always tempted to give just a little more, just a little more yeah. until, you know, you've until given it all. And there. then you're almost not in control of, you know, almost handed power to people. Yeah. who shouldn't be in control of your life. So I've learned over time to be a lot more, to pay a little less attention to what is said. Um, I always make this joke when I host Big Brother because Big Brother is a whole other monster. <laughs> and I say that very nicely, especially when the show is on because the fans are very intense. And I do the Sunday show and there's all of this q and I have with the housemates and all of that. And it always generates sort of conversation. And after the show on Sunday, I had never go back to Twitter until about Tuesday, Wednesday, because I know what I'm going to see when I go there. Yeah. And it's just me intentionally saying, okay, let me not Separate see this. And maybe it gets to me, or I feel the need to react, or I feel the need to put something out. So it's kind of the way I deal with stuff. If I put out something, or if I feel like there's something that's going to mess with what I'm trying to achieve, I don't, I try not to see it. I'm not one of those who will tell you, oh, social media doesn't get to me. And I think a lot of that is not true. I think mm. social media gets to everybody. People, some people handle it better than others, um, but I think it gets to everybody. I know people who seem strong, uh, who give off that bring it on attitude yeah. on social media, who cry, and I'm talking literally, behind <laughs> the scenes. Yeah from what people have said to them or done to them on social media. So I think it's a lie when people say, oh, um, it doesn't get to me. Which is why I handle it the way I handle it. I just don't want to see it so that it doesn't hit me the way yeah. I don't want it to. So yeah, I, I stay away when I can. I try not to, I try not to, I don't want to say engage, because I like to engage. I think engaging is good. But I just, I mean, if it's not aligned yeah. With what I'm trying to achieve, I'm, I'm most likely not going. To, I'm most likely going to try not to see it. Yeah. yeah. Let's we'll talk a bit about motivation, <laughs> yeah. right? So you said earlier on that your motivation starting off was money. Like you just need to make money. Well, now that you know, we're fifteen odd years yeah. in, in fact, right? What's your motivation now? Still money. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I'm an evil man. Just you have to take me as I am. But um, that aside, um, I'm at a place now where virtually every day, well, I mean, virtually every hour, I get a DM from someone saying, "You're my inspiration. You know, you are a role model to me. You are a mentor, even if I've not met you. You know, I get a lot of those messages now, constantly." And I'm only human, and it, it says something to me to say, okay, now what I'm doing has to have some meaning to it, where as much as I'm doing my job and I'm doing things on my own terms, I'm also letting people understand how life should be, you know, how you should build a career, how you should live. Um, I always like to go back to Robin Mines. When, <laughs> when I started Robin Mines, I started it off with a purpose to be that guy who you would be scared of being interviewed by. Um, my model at the time was Hot Talk on BBC. Mm. I literally would go on that show every Sunday and just almost really... be rude to people. Because <laughs> I wanted that attention. I wanted people to say, ah, Ibuka is tough. I've had someone 
walk off the camp, walk off sets, pull their mic off. I found another person who's a great friend, even a huge celebrity, who didn't talk to me for months after I interviewed them because of things I said on air. And it wasn't me, but I was doing them because I wanted to achieve this, you know, attention. Yeah. I wanted people to see me a certain way. I'm still doing the same show now, but I do it differently now because my, what's the aim now? Get a good interview done. Get as much as I can get out of the guests, but also leave them, get them to leave happier. And also the viewer to learn. And the viewer to also see, oh, wow, Ibuka is such a great interview. Yeah. I wish I could be that. So the intention is now different. And that is sort of what it is for me now. A lot of what I do now is more, what am I leaving after all of this? Yeah. What, are, what is anybody taking out of this? Same thing I do with the black box interviews, which was intentional with even starting that in the first place. So, okay, I want to have podcast-type interviews with people, extensive conversations with people, because a lot of our celebrities here don't tell their stories enough. And the whole idea is get them to sit down, two, three, four hours, just talk about everything that they're okay with, but have it in a way that they're happy. Yeah. And I've done six, seven interviews now, and I kid you not, not one person has left that show when they were supposed to leave. Like we say, okay, thank you for being here. And then people, they're sitting there like, wow. <laughs> this is about three, four hours. And they're still yeah. wondering, are we still not going to talk some more? I'm like, I'm tired. <laughs> you know? So that's what I try to achieve. So just, the motivation for me, like I said, is just to leave something behind. You know, to, if it's a lesson, if it's knowledge gained, if it's inspiration, whatever it is, but just something positive, you just leave it behind. Um, for the viewer, for the interviewee, for anybody who's just experienced what I do. For the, for the sake of learning a personal nugget, <laughs> right? How, how do you, because I mean, yes, you've talked about you listen to a lot of interviews, listen to a lot of interviewers and in different styles. When it's someone that you don't know personally, how do you do that where you draw them to the point of wanting to reveal themselves? Because it, I know that it, you, a lot of time people will come, you'll come to me and you say, this is, I'm not letting, there are certain things I'm not letting go or revealing about myself. Yeah. I want to take my secrets, huh? Yes, yeah, so I want to get it. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so here's one thing I always say, first of all, I think a lot of what I do now, and I'm very grateful for that, People coming on whatever show I do, there's, first of all, I believe a certain level of respect for me that they come with. So they are not as antagonistic as they would have been towards me maybe 10 years yeah. ago. Because now, okay, it's Ebuka. I guess I can kind of trust him. So I think that helps me, first of all. Then secondly, what I've learned is the hard-hitting questions are not... I like to de-emphasize them, right? Where it doesn't, you don't make it look like that's why I want you here. And what, one thing I've, that has always worked for me is starting interviews with your guests, making them feel like either you know them enough or you like them a lot. I don't want to say you've done your research because when you do your research, you might almost come across academic. But yeah. you know, where you... The first few questions, they feel like, oh, wow, okay. This guy likes me. And I think that helps a bit. Where you, It could be a personal question. It could be something about something they've done that maybe not a lot of people care about. And you sort of make that. And most times it works. Where they are happy. It's just like, oh, okay, this guy kind of cares. Before you throw in the real reason why you brought them there. So yeah. just, it, it, it always helps to soften them. Yeah. Uh, before that. So I think that kind of works in lot Interesting. Lot for Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, for me, like, I, I'm seeing a lot of talk about things like purpose and all of that because we talk to, you know, so what, what role, I guess, do you believe the purpose kind of uh, plays in what you end up doing and how often do you have to revisit it? Because you've talked about, um, you know, when you started off on Robin Minds, your interview style was different because your intention was different. And having to reevaluate that, how often do you think you have to kind of sit back and look at yourself and, and recheck the vision in life, not even just... Yeah. yeah, I think, I don't know how often, but I think there are just moments that come where you're like, yeah, maybe this is what I should be doing now. You know, um, it's probably happened about three, four times in the last 15 years. First, I think the first bit came from, okay, I guess this, 
having the epiphany to say, okay, I guess my strength is in interviewing. You know, that helped. Um, there was also the desperation after I'd come out from my master's and nothing was working. And I would go for all these auditions and they'd be like, because you were actually the best. But they said, oh, God wants this person. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. And it went from anger to just say, you know what? I'm going to just take this into my own hands now and not let anybody else control my narrative, which is why I said the Robin Minds conversation started and I went to say, okay, I want, let's go into this together. It's not, it was on terrestrial TV, you know, a lot of people in our generation yeah. watch cable. Yeah. So it was almost like, why are you going on a terrestrial <laughs> TV station? You know, but it was because I said, okay, I, I'm going to do this and get my narrative in my hands again. Yeah. You know, then of course, the change of style in my interview. So I think it's always just moments that trigger it um, where you realize, okay, I'm in a different place now and I need to be able to align my beliefs with where I am. Um, and it's, it's natural. They always say when you're in your 20s or your early 30s is when you are most likely to be trying to discover yourself yeah. and you're playing around things and, you know, trying to really figure out what you stand for, yeah. who you are, where you're even headed, you know, and I guess that's what was happening. Um, so I don't know what next or when next I would go through that, <laughs> you know, purpose shift, but I'm very happy with where I am now. Um, it doesn't mean that there's not a lot more still to do. Yeah. I mean, I would say in the entertainment industry as a whole, in Nigeria, I think the media is at the bottom yeah. of the table because it's music, Nollywood. You might have the comedians and those people mm -hmm. before you get to presenters because we're still seen, unfortunately, a certain way. Like, okay, almost like they can do without us. Sometimes you want to interview someone, it takes, I mean, you know this because <laughs> you just believe, why do I need to do an interview? I don't yeah. really care for this. <laughs> so we're still, and it's probably going to be my next sort of getting that proper respect for the industry and people to understand the need for this. But it's also happening at a time where the face of communication is changing yeah. so fast, you know. Suddenly, you don't, you don't know, are you supposed to be on traditional TV? Is it online? Yeah, these questions. There's also man. social media <laughs> happening. People are doing Instagram live interviews. There's so much happening, you know. Yeah. So it's hard to even keep up with what's the space should look like. Yeah, it's funny because these are the questions yeah. I'm asking it's myself very tough. when it comes to this. So which yeah. is why if someone like me and I have my hands in all the spice, so my bounce rate is online, then I have one on cable, then I have one on Terrestrial TV. I mean, I'm lucky enough to have that sort of, you know, luxury Range, to yeah. do that. But it's also hard to just keep up. And I just hope, some people think it might be signaling the death of media. I hope not. Um, I don't know what the evolution is going to look like. I think a lot of it is going to depend on yeah. You guys <laughs> and the Gen Zs. <laughs> so I think I think you know one thing that, that highlights me. I guess is there anything is there any through line I guess that you could see between these different um, bookmark moments, these kind of moments in your life that where you had to kind of reevaluate re the vision and reevaluate what you're actually doing. Are there any through lines of the kind of things that people should be looking out for, for this is when something is changing or something is shifting right now in my life? I think, and these are clues. I think the biggest, the word that would stand out for me, unpopular word is unhappiness, but I guess politically correct word is lack of satisfaction. Um, if you're not feeling it, you know, and you can tell what you're doing differently. And it's not a very easy choice to make. Like I said, there are people who um, would do the interview I was doing. And if I was doing well with it, a rubbing minds, I didn't need to change. So it's a conflict of, it's doing well. People love this style. I get talked mm -hmm. about every Sunday. I'm on blogs every Sunday because I, someone couldn't stand the question I asked. Mm. Um, but why change it? Because I wasn't completely happy with it. And I think that's probably what, in every, a lot of these points, it was just a case of, yeah, I'm not, it might be working, but am I really satisfied yeah. doing this? So with, I think that's probably the one thing that I would say stands out or stood out in all the times that I had to sort of do a rejig. It was 
just not being happy enough. And we're humans, we know. Yeah. We always know when something is telling yeah. us, Gag, come on now. Yeah. I think it's funny because, I mean, even looking at this, I yeah. mean, obviously I started off in the barbershop yes. idea and I've done the round table, which mm -hmm. you've done. And so it's coming and doing it like this is different. Yeah. And it's how do you get more out of what your actual overall intention is yeah. and the kind of questions you have to ask yourself in that I space. I like the round table, though. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it too. I, I enjoyed it. But, you know, I think sometimes everything fits what kind of picture you're trying to go for yeah. at the time or what's happening in the, in the season that you're in and those kind of things. Um, and like you said, what are you trying to achieve overall? Um, you were talking a little bit about that transition. Um, and it might appear when it comes to media, at least, that people might talk and say, okay, this might be, is this the death of media? Um, but really often, most of the time, it's really just a transformation of the way things are being done. Yeah. Um, so outside of you know, media specifically, there's a lot of transitions going on generationally in terms of people building, building and ideas and Oof. all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, what, do you think that, what do you think that the current generation needs to be able to supply to the next generation for them to be able to do what they ought to do best. And, and this is, you can, you can use media as an example being where you are, but in the wider scale, because there's an entire new generation of people that are hungry. And we saw that kind of in the NSARS space, that there's, there's a fire to be able to, to take responsibility and to stand now, but to help them achieve what needs to be achieved, especially if we're going to recalibrate the nation as a whole. Right. It's very simple, listening. What we need to give them is our ears. And I think it's, it's a cross board. Um, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but it feels like millennials, Gen Zs, of all generations that I know of, are the two who are so close together, but so different. Mm. I don't know if, it ha if it's happened any time. I mean, I, I, I see areas. I yeah, see areas. Because is Gen X before? Who's before millennials? I don't I can't remember what they're called before now. millennials yeah. now. But I mean, I have siblings who are in that generation. And I have friends in that generation. And I don't know that we are that different. But with the Gen Zs and the millennials, it's interesting how close we are, but also very different. And it yeah. comes a lot from how much technology changed in that space. Yeah. You know, the 90s and the noughties, that's what they're yeah. called, right? <laughs> were very yeah. interesting times to be born. And a lot of us before then were almost fully formed before yeah. this thing started. So it was a very, very big change in the way people reason. And so what you get now from people in the older generation is always these people are too noisy, they are impatient, Yes, they are, kind of. Let's be honest. You know, <laughs> they want everything to happen now. Because that's you know, how the media kind that's of... That's how the media how, sort of... And it's what they see. I mean, yeah, Instagram, you're seeing 23-year-olds who are billionaires. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. People are 21 buying Bentleys. Yeah. You know, so it's hard to be yeah. at that age and in that space and not think a certain way. Um, so I think a lot of listening needs to happen. Um, I don't think a lot of us give them enough respect. I don't think we understand them enough. Yeah. Um, and it's very important that we do, especially in Nigeria. I mean, we've all seen the numbers, the demographics. Yeah. The youth population here under 35 is almost 70% of the population. Yeah. <laughs> so they literally own the country. You can't ignore those numbers. You can't ignore their thought process. You can't ignore their demands. And we kind of saw that with the NSARS, which is why even our fathers were shocked. They had fought the military, they had fought <laughs> colonialism, and they would tell you they had never seen anything like this yeah. in Nigeria. So it's, it's very telling that a lot of that was driven by that generation. Yeah. And you know, just their hunger for just being heard. Um, so I think we, we need to listen a lot more in our small spaces, in our, whether it's on a grand scale, country-wise, or in our sectors, or one-on-ones, but it just needs to be a lot more communication happening. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I think I'm still where I am, because I'm very intentional sometimes about it. So my friends call, call me the Gen Z millennial, because <laughs> they say I'm a little too in touch and liberal. 
you know, about, you know, their thoughts and all of that. And I think it's, it's only right because I learned so much from just sometimes yeah. just even reading tweets from them or, yeah. you know, how they think, how quick they are to take charge. You and I know how you want to make a decision. You are wondering, okay, is it going to work? Yeah. You're thinking about these guys are just, you know, they're almost risk, risk covers. I don't get it. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot more listening and just communication that needs yeah. to happen between generations. And like I said, there are too many to be ignored. Yeah. There's too much potential there for the country, as well as implications um, that we need to respect them a lot more and listen to them a lot more. How do we stop um, stifling? Because there's, there's one thing, I guess, yes, to listen. Another thing to make sure that you're not trying to um, push them down while they're trying to build something up. I mean, we talked about the amount of things that are being done in, like, for example, like the tech space and things like that. What can we do to make sure that, you know, um, people that have these brilliant ideas that, because I know what it's like, especially knowing, and I'm sure you do as well, because there's, there's a tendency, especially when you're in the, for us, right, in the entertainment space, um, culturally, it was new in terms of, you know, who's taking acting and things like that seriously, that when you want to make a lifestyle out of it, um, it's easy to get stifled. How do we make sure that we don't make those same mistakes with stifling the generation that are coming, the ideas that they're having, um, so that it can actually, um, it can actually, you know, proliferate and it can actually grow and they can actually have impact in this country. That's a tough one. Because um, a lot of... <laughs> it's, like you said, the industry we're in is very interesting. There's... And actually, just the country as a whole, there's generally just not a... What's the word? Ageism. Yeah, yeah there's always a lot of that with things in Nigeria where there's a belief that you are too young to do certain things or to achieve certain things. And I don't know honestly how we can start changing that narrative because there's so much, like I've said before, that we can learn and get from them. But we are, and I think, it, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to talk about government too much because <laughs> as much as they would always come up um, but we live in a country where, I mean, we have youth ministers who are a certain age. We have youth leaders in parties who are a certain age. So the picture you see is that if you are a certain age or under a certain age, you are not welcome to the table anywhere. And it sort of seeps into all these other sectors where um, you are not allowed to thrive, which is why the tech spaces and entertainment, for example, are different a little because people can do things in their corners. Yeah. We've seen what's happened, for example, with social media comedians in the last four or five years. These guys are doing crazy things. <laughs> social media numbers are insane. Yeah. They're getting endorsements. They're making a living, you know, just from doing skits for yeah. four or five years now. And why? Because they didn't need anybody. They literally mm -hmm. just took a phone and started doing things in their space. Same thing with tech. You have a laptop, you start working on something. Yeah. So it's, it's easier in these spaces to thrive. I think a lot of it is cultural, is what I guess is what I'm seeing, yeah. where they just believe that age determines how far you can go. You know, I'm 39. People still call me a youth. I might look it, thank you very much. <laughs> but I'm not, to be honest. Because first yeah. of all, with the United Nations, I think it's under 30. Yeah. Or even 25. NYSC says 30. Right? So if yeah. you're 31, you should even be a youth. Yeah. Nigeria says 35. But you see people who are 45 who still say youth party and youth this and youth that, you know. <laughs> so it's it's very cultural. You're a small boy until i don't know when i don't even know what the cut off age is anymore yeah. but that small boy tendency is very cultural and regardless of what tribe you are it's it's very it's at the core of a lot of things we do and i think that seeps into workspaces yeah. into sectors so maybe the answer to that is technology eventually yeah. if human beings are not going to let young people thrive 
And people are just taking charge of their lives with technology and doing things because they can in their space. And that's probably going to force people to shift yeah. your narrative. And we, like you said, tech is happening. It's taking government a while to understand what's happening there because yeah. they can't seem to get it. Yeah. You know, these are guys who really come to the civil service. It's also harder to, to contain. Yes. Yeah. They will really come to the civil service to ask for a job. Suddenly, you know, these guys are just doing their thing yeah. without me. Why don't they need me? You know, so it's technology is going to change a lot of that. And yeah. I hope it does. Because if something hasn't worked, why do we keep repeating it? Yeah. So the change has to be forced. And I really, really am a fan of disruption. Um, I, I always say, as much as I love what I do, I'm not going to be here forever. And it's only fair that the people who are supposed to be coming are even better than you are. Yeah. So why not just let them thrive enough for? So I don't know. Maybe technology is going to be the answer. It's already, like I said, it's happening in tech. It's happening in entertainment. People yeah. are shooting movies. People are shooting movies on their phones now and putting it out. Yeah. People are shooting movies and putting it on social, on social media, YouTube. Yeah. They don't care yeah. <laughs> if they have a distributor, if the cinema wants to sign them on, or if this big producer wants to work with them. They're just doing it because they yeah. can. And the world, especially because of COVID has even made these things yeah. shift faster than it would have. Because now people are just sitting in their homes and looking for content and working on content. And um, so I, I'm really hoping technology might be the answer. I don't know that we as a, as a people, yeah. because of our cultural sort yeah. of beliefs, would, would let it work. So um, before we wrap up, three nuggets that you believe, right? any person, young person trying to start and develop a business or a brand needs to consider and think about if they're going to be able to take something from idea to conception. First off, very important. You, you said start a business. And I think money is very important. I think a lot of people um, get too passionate, especially creatives. I know we're very guilty of that, where you're so passionate about something. You know about the arts. You just want to be seen as yeah. a professional, and you forget that you're supposed to be running your business. Yeah. And that's very important. You know, um, if you want to start up something, whether it's your personal brand you're building, whether it's a business you're trying to start up, do you see profits? Do you see money at the end? Yeah. Because whether we like it or not, money is very fundamental to a lot of why we are alive today. Yeah. And you need to be successful at what you're doing. And I don't think a lot of success comes um, if the business isn't thriving. And what makes a business thrive? Yeah. So I think you have to always think, keep your eye on the ball. I, yeah. I think it's very key. It pains me a lot when I see, and it happens so often, you see a lot of people who have been in entertainment for 15, 20, 30 years. They fall sick and they're trying to raise funds. And sometimes you see the amount of money they're trying to source for. And you wonder, he couldn't save this up? Yeah. I mean, if you worked this long in a business, there's certain things you should be able to afford. Yeah. Why then did you do the business anyway? So I think it's key that people start seeing that. Yes, you're passionate about it, but you should also be able to make money from what you're passionate about. Yeah. So I think that's very key. Um, secondly, which is something we've thought about here a lot, is the belief in what you want to achieve, you know, sort of what what's the end goal? What's the message? What's the... I don't think anybody starts a business to hurt anybody or starts yeah. a business to not have an impact positively on people. So what are you trying to... What's the legacy? What's the legacy? What's the motto? What's, what does that business stand for? Yeah. Whether it's your personal brand, whether it's a brand outside of yourself that you're building, there has to be something that you want the business to stand for, which is, like you said, the legacy. So I think you also have to know that and always keep that in mind. Yeah. You might make detours along the way, but at least, you know, ultimately, this is what yeah. I want to be seen as. This is what I want the business to achieve. Finally, not very popular, especially in these times. Um, and especially like you said, cross-generational is collaboration. I don't think anybody knows it all. Um, I don't think it's impossible to stop learning. I don't think it's impossible to... I don't think it's possible to do it on your own all the time. Yeah. And 
regardless of the sector you're in. You can see it kind of happening in the two sectors we keep talking about, where young people are working, yeah. where some of the best startups we've seen out of Nigeria now have been partnerships yeah. or collaborations, you know, in entertainment. Brands are being built now, movies are being shot now because two, three, five heads have decided to come together and say, okay, let's make this thing work. And I think it's, I understand sometimes why people don't like to share their ideas. And, you know, I respect that, but I think it's also key that people don't lose sight of the fact that sometimes yeah. by the time you get someone into this, You'd be shocked at how much you can achieve. I give the example of Bounce Radio. I don't know that. It's an idea I've always had in my head. Then I had a friend, Olamide Adedeji, who is a producer. And interestingly, he also always wanted a show like that. He just took a conversation and he's like, okay, I guess we can do this. Two heads came together. I would never have done it on my own. He probably yeah. would never have done it on his own. But then that show was born because, you know, a conversation was had. So I think it's very key to realize that as much as you want to build your brand and, you know, I always see some people say, oh, Kylie Jenner, self-made billionaire, yes, we, we respect that. But she didn't do it on her own either. Yeah. She might be the name of the brand, but there's a whole lot of people who had to come together to make that work. So you need to work with people, trusted people, but yeah, collaboration is very important. Thank you very much. You see how I like to end with that leader <laughs> entertainment. The Lara Kingley. Yeah. You know, I was like something that's my that's my wisdom nugget of the day personally, right? Thank you so much. You much I really enjoyed it. Yes. And um, you know, hopefully we'll get around to a point where you know we're doing this it was sometime in the future and you will be able to see the growth. <laughs> right. Right. Thank you so much. Thanks I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for tuning in for the latest episode of Shop Talk with the support of LSETF and make sure you keep on tuning in.